I've got to tell you what just happened. A little inside baseball, there's a platform that's right here for our less tall clergy members to stand up on when they're at the pulpit. And Mary-Kate knew that if I stood on this platform, I'd look like Andre the Giant up here. So she asked, do you want me to move that? So for the last part she just did, she literally stood up on her tippy toes to make things easier for me. That just happened. Now, I can't believe Glenn left town. And then they gave the keys to the house to me. This should be a lot of fun. Now, will you please join me in a brief prayer? Holy One, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Racism will not end in our lifetimes, nor in any near future. Let me say that again. Racism will not end in our lifetimes, nor in any near future. Oppressive systems will not be completely replaced. Gun violence, or violence of any, for that matter, will not be removed completely from our society. Environmental degradation will continue and the damage that's been caused will not be completely removed. Children somewhere will go hungry. Those on the outskirts of society will continue to feel ostracized or marginalized. Families will still experience hurt and brokenness. Whew! Wow, that got dark really, really fast. I swore when I wrote this, I put joy in the title of this sermon. However, these are some of the hard truths that come towards justice work and moving towards that beloved community that was envisioned for us. It is a slow-moving and often circular process. The Emancipation Proclamation that freed the slaves took place 100 years before Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous I Have a Dream speech which took place nearly 60 years ago from today. Yet racial inequity are still at the forefront of our conversations and still causing pain and hurt in our communities. So, how then do we reconcile and sustain ourselves during this slow-moving and daunting process when we tend to think of winning or losing in absolutes? It's a zero-sum game. There's a winner and there's a loser. And we want to win, and we want to win right here and right now. In a Christian space, much similar to this, a congresswoman last month stated that if Jesus had more AR-15s, perhaps his government wouldn't have killed him. She was met with a round of applause. I don't think I need to allocate much time in this sermon to explaining why this goes against, well, everything we know about the teachings of Jesus. However, it does reveal a common human sentiment that we must totally win in this moment. We either win or lose. We defeat our enemy or they will defeat us right here and right now. Prior to somehow convincing Glenn to give me a full-time position here, I started an internship and my charge was to build up community justice teams. The idea of this came from a strategic plan that was informed by the congregation. And one of the big initiatives from that strategic plan was to build up our social consciousness, both here in the congregation and within our community. 
Specifically within this social consciousness were three areas of focus. Environmental sustainability, racial equity, and gun violence prevention. Now in a former life, I was a program manager, so I love my milestones and tracking tasks, turning those red schedules green, the rush of completing a project on budget and on time. So naturally, I relied on some of these old ways of thinking and skills as I took on this challenge. So I started to build charters and schedules on how to end racism in central Ohio within an eight-month part-time internship. <laughs> you may have guessed, didn't quite get there. So then, how do we motivate and sustain ourselves when we seek to better our communities our families to advocate for the oppressed when there is no paint-by-numbers approach and our failure and disappointment will bound us on our path. Well, there is righteous anger. Anger can galvanize us. It leads to action. Tragedies or adverse governmental policies generally lead to upticks in community advocacy. Jesus, after all, famously turned over the tables of the merchants in that temple. Anger leads to action. In fact, in 2011, researchers in Finland studied high-level athletes and how anger helped or hurt their performance. The study ultimately concluded that anger helped them in situations that needed short bursts of energy. In other cases, it hurt them, leading them to use their energy inefficiently. Psychologist Roger Gill added, it helps when the activity that needs to get done is physical, since anger tends to speed us up in short bursts. It's important not to do anything that takes too much time or too much thought since our minds are likely to be clouded by the anger and we will not make sound choices. Ultimately, holding on to that anger led to negative emotions, resentment, blocked happiness, and led to burnout in those elite athletes. So. If anger, even when it is justified, doesn't sustain us in the long term and it clouds our judgment and it saps our energy, my friends, what other choice do we have? So what about joy? However, joy may seem like the last thing we want to consider in this long fight against injustice when we advocate for the oppressed and when we attempt to fix festering family issues. How dare we or how can we be joyful when there's so much to worry about, so much to do? The problems are too big in our world, in America, and in our lives. However, there is a pretty interesting feature about joy. Oppressive regimes seem to hate it and are fans of banning it in their populations. In China, under Mao, listening to Beethoven was a crime. Traditional and folk music was outlawed in Nazi Germany. In the Soviet Union, songs are censored from artists as varied as Tina Turner and ACDC. In Albania, the saxophone was banned, and in Trinidad, the British banned drumming. Here in the U.S., plantations in the South during the slavery era often disallowed dancing, reading, and singing. You see, what dictators and oppressors know is that joy has a propulsive force, and that anything that gathers and channels that energy threatens rigid control of a population and leads to unity. 
Findings have shown that we become connected, even on a physical level when we engage in joyous activities together. Choir singers, hearts begin to synchronize. Musicians playing the same riff have brain waves that line up. Shared experiences create a physiological and often subconscious experience of community. When people, even strangers, begin to move and vocalize together, they become more generous, empathetic, and start to place the needs of the group over the needs of their own. Shared joy and celebration create unity on an emotional level and a physical level, and a unified people will work harder at recognizing and dismantling oppression and pain in their community. In the summer of 2004, I was still in the U.S. Air Force, and I was deployed to a remote, small, forward operating base in Pakistan. I'll never forget that first day when we stepped off the back of that C-130 airplane. The temperature was a couple ticks above 130 degrees. And if your body has never experienced that type of heat, it simply takes your breath away for a few moments. I remember looking around me, and as far as my eyes could see were nothing but sand and concrete without a stitch of green. My job while we were there was to be sort of a liaison between us and the Pakistani population. I worked with Pakistani merchants and civilians to procure supplies and services we would need to accomplish our mission. As time carried on, a, a funny thing started to happen. I only really started to think of our large overarching mission in abstract terms, and I can't tell you how much progress we made in geopolitical terms. But I can tell you what motivated us. What sustained me day after day in that oppressive heat, blinding sandstorms, threats from the Taliban, and being far, far away from everything I ever knew or loved were the people around me my fellow service members, my new Pakistani friends, who make no mistake about it, were in as much, if not more, danger than we were by simply helping the Americans. We traded stories about our families, celebrated birth of children. They taught us and promptly beat us badly in a game of cricket. We attempted to do the same thing in baseball. We were able to find joy in austere situations, and we found joy as a group. That large, overarching, seemingly unreachable mission without a foreseeable ending isn't what sustained us on those long, hard days. It was each other. In the scripture that Mary Kate read earlier, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. He is writing to them in most historical perspectives from a jail cell, a place we can only assume felt very hopeless. And yet he is telling them to rejoice to rejoice in prayer and petition, and perhaps particularly in petition. You see, petitions are our needs or pleas for relief in dire circumstances. Those are the times when we need joy the most. You see, joy gives rise to hope. And hope is that sometimes elusive feeling that tomorrow can be better than today. Joy gives us a glimpse of the future we're fighting for with a glimpse of it here in our present. It inspires us and stokes our motivations for change. But sometimes we don't feel like being joyful. And when we don't feel like being joyful is okay, when the world is too much, our problems are too big, when being joyful feels like a betrayal to those we advocate for, 
Let us remember this excerpt from the poem, A Brief for the Defense, from poet Jack Gilbert. Gentlemen, could you pull that up, please? If we deny our happiness, resist satisfaction, we lessen the importance of their deprivation. We must risk delight. Let me say that again. We must risk delight. We can do without pleasure, but not delight, not enjoyment. We must have the stubbornness to accept our gladness in the ruthless furnace of this world. To make injustice the only measure of our attention is to praise the devil. If we lose our joy, we lose the source of our strength. We lose resilience and we lose unity. Furthermore, we lose the point of it all. We must realize that joy is not a distraction from oppression, inequity, family pain, and community troubles, but one of the greatest sources of power and the resistance of those things. Amen.